0: A couple of years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, hang out with my dad some um, at the beach, and uh, so I, I met him down there, and uh, one of the things that my dad and, always, and I always do together is we'll wake up in the morning really early, and we always enjoy breakfast together. I'm one of those guys that, like, if you didn't have to sleep, I wouldn't sleep, but I, you have to have it to survive, so I would, because when, like, when I go to sleep at night, I'm thinking about what I could be doing other than sleeping, Right? And and when morning rolls around, that thing that I could be doing other than sleeping is eating pancakes. And so like I'm not sleeping during that time. I am definitely eating pancakes. So we were hanging out at this restaurant, uh, enjoying breakfast together. Man, just talking leadership, just talking life, uh, family. Man, how to how to lead difficult people, and all those people go to the eleven o'clock. So it's not you. So like, just you know, just troubleshooting people like that. And uh, he's been a pastor his whole life, and uh, he he looked at me and he said, Nathan, I want you to preach um, Colossians at my funeral. And my dad's in his fifties, and so I'm looking at him like, you got something to tell me or? Something going on. He's like, no, nah, nothing's wrong. I just want to let you know. I mean, this this is my funeral we're talking about here, man. I'm assuming you're going to preach it, right? So, like, I want you to know, like, I, I need to tell you what I once said at my own funeral, and. And so we, we opened up the book of Colossians and just began to look through it. And he began to say, hey, you know, this book is, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done for us, how he has impacted our lives. And, and that's the story of my life. Like Nathan, like famous last words, man, I want the last thing you say about me to be about Jesus. Okay, don't, don't tell a story about me. I was like, you don't want me to talk about you? He's like, bro, I'm going to be dead, man. Why are you going to talk about me? Let's talk about Jesus, right? Let's, let's let him be the hero even of my, my funeral service. And so I was like, got it, man. Got it down pat. I've already written out his funeral. I hadn't sent it to him yet. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if that's kind of weird to read your own funeral, but excited about preaching it because it's going to be all about Jesus. One of our members um, at the North Campus is getting ready to lose her dad. doctor's given him a couple of days more to live, and she called me last week and said, I'm, I'm having to write his obituary. It's one of, the, one of the hardest things I've ever done. I got a text message last night about 430 um, in the morning, this morning, and uh, another one of our members' mom passed away in the middle of the night. And so now they're in the process of planning that funeral, it. and it just began to, to make me think, uh, what, do you want, what do you want people to say about your life? What's going to happen when you die? What, what do you hope the pastor stands up and, and says? I saw a bumper sticker one time that says, live your life in such a way that the pastor does not have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> I like that, man. A lot of pastors have to lie at funerals. Because unfortunately, people didn't live a life that honored God. What do you want them to say? If you had one more conversation to have with somebody, if you got the opportunity to sit down with the pastor and say, hey, just want to, just want to lay it out there. This is what I want my funeral to be about. This is what I hope people would remember me for. This is what I hope my, my last words, either the last words that I speak or the last words that are spoken about me, this is, this is what I hope that they're all about. If you had one more phone call to make, one more conversation to have, what would you, what would you do? What would you say? Who would you, who would you call? What would you want your last words to be? The last words that maybe someone spoke about your life. In Joshua chapter 24, we are looking at Joshua's last words to his people. Like He knew this, over 100 years old, old man, getting ready to die. He knows he's getting ready to die. He's got one more opportunity to stand up in front of these people, the people that he has led as a commander of their army, the people that he has been a a spiritual father to. He has led them to like all kinds of new levels. They went from homeless to now inhabiting this promised land and and so many incredible stories. And so he he stands up and, and he wants to give them a choice. He wants to lay a choice out in front of him. And this morning, that's what I want to do. Chapter 24 is all about a choice that you and I have to make. And Joshua framed his last talk. And this is the last, I mean, this is real deal here. This is the last conversation you're going to have. Think about this. Last conversation that you ever had. If you knew you only had one more with your parents or with your, with your spouse or with your kids or, or with one of your best friends, what would you say? I mean, you would think if, if you knew about this ahead of time, you, you would think through that, right? I mean, you'd want to be clear on what you communicated in your very last conversation. And so Joshua lays out a choice. He said, hey, everybody in the audience, you have a choice to make today, and I'm going to explain to you what that choice is. And as you read this text this morning with me, you'll realize that you and I have that same choice to make this morning. First of all, we see the setting in chapter 24. He says Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to the valley of Shechem. That's in verse verse 1. Here's the the meeting place. Now, you may just read over that, no big deal, but if you pay attention to the story throughout Joshua, and even throughout the Old Testament, Shechem was a really important place. God did some incredible things. in in Shechem, in in this area. In fact, God promised Abraham for the very first time that he was going to build the nation of Israel in the valley of Shechem. There was no nation. God spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you the father of a nation. Your descendants will be numerous as the stars in the sky. And here we are generations later, and there's over a million people gathered in the valley of Shechem. Hey, let me remind you, God's a promise maker, and God's a promise keeper. This place would have been rich with history. This is the first place where Abraham built an altar to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Here's the way altars worked. When an altar was built, this pile of rocks would be left. They would would leave it there, they wouldn't tear it down, they wouldn't pack it up and take it with them. And so, everywhere an altar was built, you could go back, and these Israelites, these million Israelites, would have walked by in the valley of Shechem, a huge altar that was made to worship God. And that would have been where the father of their nation, Father Abraham, would have worshipped God for the very first time after receiving this news that God was going to build a great nation. Some of the heroes of the faith in the the nation of Israel are buried in the the valley here of Shechem. Um, The bones of Jacob and Isaac are buried there. So they would have walked by this burial ground where heroes of the faith would have would have been. I mean, this place was rich with history, really, really significant location. This was not by accident that Joshua looked at all the people and says, "For my last talk, for my last conversation, the thing I want you to remember about me, let's let's meet down in the valley of of Shechem, where so many significant milestones happened." Hey, hey, let me let me give you a heads up. Sometimes God uses our hardest struggles. And also our greatest triumphs as a springboard for what he has for us next. No doubt, God would have been looking at those people and say, Look at all the things around you. Now, as you look at those things, you got a choice to make. you got a choice to make, and Joshua is going to tell you what this choice is. So what are you going to do about it? God promised Abraham a long time ago that there would be numerous as many as the stars in the sky descendants of him, and now a million people are standing in that valley. What are you going to do about that? Abraham worshiped God and thanked him for providing for him, and here you are with your own land now. What are you going to do with that? you got a choice to make. This is a split in the road. In, in verses 1 through 13 of this passage, Joshua delivers this message from God. He says, this is what God has to say. This is what God wanted me to speak to you. And basically for the next 13 verses, Joshua reminds these people of everything that God has done in the first 23 chapters of Joshua. It's basically a recap. He says, let me remind you of everything that God did. Let me remind you of how he provided. Let me remind you of how good he is. Let me remind you of the times we had our backs up against the wall and God showed up and bailed us out. Like, let me, just, let me just summarize these first 23 chapters. And I want to brag on God a little bit. I want to remind you of his faithfulness. I want, to rem- I want you to remember some of the struggles that we went through and some of the triumphs that we had. And so he's, he's speaking on behalf of God. And I think it's interesting, once he sets up the introduction... He begins to, to quote God. He begins to speak on behalf of God for 10 verses. And in these 10 verses, you see the pronoun I 15 different times. Like God's trying to make a statement here. God was speaking to his people and said, I parted the Red Sea and allowed you to walk through it. I tore down the walls of Jericho. I made, made it rain this bread down from heaven so that you could eat. I was the one that struck the rock, made the water come out of it in the middle of the desert when you had no other water anywhere near. I am the one that gave you all those victories. I protected you. I gave to you. I sustained you. He's making a real, real big statement about here. Who took your life to a whole other level? I did. And Joshua chose to spend that time Reminding him. Who bailed you out? Who provided? Who gave? Who was generous? Who made a way? Who made your marriage better? Who made your finances better? Who hooked you up? Hey, it was me. God did that. Now, as a communicator, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, if, that, if, if this were my last sermon, I would not just summarize my, my previous 23 sermons, right? I mean... <laughs> If I were sitting in the audience, I'd be like, Joshua, I've already heard this sermon before. This is awkward, man. I don't know if you forgot in your old age that you already preached this text. I've heard these jokes before. I've heard these illustrations before. Like, why? This is your last sermon. This, you should have put some more time in this. But you're just kind of giving us a recap of everything that, that you've done and everything that God has done in, in, our, in our midst. So why did Joshua do this? Why did Joshua spend the vast majority of, of his time, the last time he would be with his people, just simply recapping what God had done. Well, I'll tell you why. Because over the past 40 years, God had blessed the Israelite people tremendously, He had given them their own land. He had multiplied them, given them power, given them money, given them prestige. I mean, these people were, were just juggernauts in the fighting world. They had the best army, the best leadership. Like, everybody was scared, running scared from the Israelites. And Joshua took a moment and said, Hey, listen, I know that over the last 40 years, God has taken your life to a whole nother level. But here's our tendency. It's our tendency today, too. When God blesses us and does incredible things in our life, our very next thing is oftentimes to forget about God. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, said this, Nearly any man can handle adversity, but the way to prove a man in his character is to give him power. See, it was easy back in the day when Israel had nothing. It was easy to pray to God. It was easy to give God credit. I mean, they, didn't have, they couldn't turn anywhere else. But man, let God start blessing your life and see how quickly you and I begin to take the credit for it. See how quickly you and I begin to forget about God and our need and our desire for Him and start patting ourselves on the back and say, you know what, I worked hard for this. You know what, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. You know what, I probably... It's probably somewhat. I was just so smart, I was just, maybe I got lucky a little bit, maybe I just played my cards right, I saved right, I spent right, I did the right things, and at the height of their success, their leader wanted to stand up in front of them and say, time out, time out, you need to remember what God has done for your life. You need to remember that you would not be here today if it were not for Him. So all these victories, all this money, all this power, all this fame, this easily goes to your head. Let me bring you down a notch and remind you who's responsible for all this. Joshua took this time to use his famous last words, his final eulogy to his people. He wrote his own obituary, and he's delivering it here, and he chose to say this, Remember what God has done for you. If this were the last time that I ever stood on stage and preached at Revo Church, that's what I would want to say to you. Do not forget what God has done for you. Do not forget how God has blessed us. Do not forget how you got to where you are today. And make sure you give God the credit. If you want to know something that will increase your faith, if you want to know something that will help you to believe that in your life that God's best is still yet to come, here's my advice to you. Take a moment and stop and remember what God has done in the past. The greatest catalyst for future growth in your life as you walk with Jesus is to stop and look back at what Jesus has already done in your life. I'm telling you, it's like spiritual performance enhancers. Like If God did that, jeez, man, this is, I'm unstoppable. If God provided that, if God delivered then, if God hooked me up, if God took me from there to here, there's nothing that can stop us. Great performance enhancer for the people. And so Joshua said, before I say anything else, remember, please, I will remind you of what God has done for you. Rolled it off in those 13 verses. Please remember what God has done in the past. And then we read in verse 14 and 15, The two most popular verses that Joshua is known for. like Even if you've never been to church, maybe you've heard these verses before or seen it on a little plaque. If you've ever been in a Christian bookstore, uh, sorry about that, but they're all in there. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you would dwell. Here's the moneymaker. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That will go down as Joshua's big slogan. About the only thing that he said that he would have thrown on Twitter and it would have got retweeted a bunch of times and favorited by a bunch of people. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He starts out in verse 14. This is huge for us. He starts out with two words. Now, therefore. Now, if you're reading a book, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask yourself, what is that therefore there for? And here's what Joshua does. He recaps verses 1 through 13, right? And then he says, now, now that you have been reminded... Now that you took an opportunity to remember what God has done in your life, you have a choice. Anytime you stop and remember, you choose to reflect and look back at what God has done, you have a choice to make. It brings you to a crossroads. You are confronted with a response. What are you going to do in light of everything that God has done? That's our definition of worship here at Revo Church. Your response to what God has done in your life is called worship i think that's why it's so important for us to make it a habit to remember next week we're going to celebrate communion together we're going to spend the whole service remembering what jesus has done for us but the reason why reflecting and remembering is so good is because it intentionally brings you to a point where you have to respond you have to turn left or turn right you cannot just stand there you will respond to what god has done in your life one way one way or the other And Joshua, in this text, gives us the response. He says, what will you do? Now, therefore, since God has done all this stuff, what what is our response? And he uses a few different words. He says, fear the Lord. That's not not like you're afraid and scared. It's a reverence. It's an honor. Respect the Lord. And then, then he says, and serve with sincerity and faith. Have you ever wondered what your response should be to a God that loved and gave and served and provided and blessed and and helped you out in so many areas of your life? Scripture makes it very clear. Our response to what God has done for us is to serve. It's to serve. Serve with sincerity and wholeheartedly. In fact, just in those two verses that I just read, the word serve is used seven times. Just in two verses, right? I mean, Can you imagine hearing this from Joshua? Hey, guys, I just want to let you know, if you believe that God did all that stuff for you, you need to serve. You know what you need to do? You need to serve. Okay, everybody serve. You want to serve God? This is our response. It should be serve. You want to serve? Let's serve, right? Same thing over and over. My, we're in the Christmas season right now. And my kids are in the habit of telling me what they want on their list every day. Every day. It's a long list. Every day. I just want this. I want this. Just remember, Dad. Don't forget, Dad. I want this. Can I have this? I want this. I hope Santa Claus brings me this. I want this. Can I have this? Like, they don't want me to forget. When we don't want people to forget, we repeat ourselves. We say, do you remember? Okay, let, don't, don't forget this. Hey, remember this. Whatever you do, don't forget it, right? Do I need to say it again? Like, do, you need to write it on your hand? What do you need to do? So when we see a one word used seven times in two verses, that's Joshua giving us like the red flag. Hey, don't miss this. Our response to what God has done for us is to serve. And even the language that he uses about our service is is interesting. In in Scripture it says, serve with sincerity. Well, sincerity in Scripture is uh, actually two Hebrew words smushed together. And it means uh, serve without wax. Is that not interesting? Without wax. God wants you to serve him without wax. Let me explain it to you. In Scripture, people made... Really, really expensive pottery to sell. But in the process of making this pottery, if the pottery cracked, it would become worthless. No one wanted a piece of cracked pottery. It marked an imperfection. It marked an instability in it. And so you could work so hard and do so much to make this beautiful piece of pottery, but during the baking or the proofing process, if that piece of pottery cracked, it was worthless. Well, here's what people would do. They would take a a piece of pottery that was cracked, worthless. No one would want it. And inside that crack, they would rub wax to seal the hole. And then they would paint the pottery. And now from the outside, you can't tell that it has a crack in it. That wax, it dries hard, it dries flat. And you can present this old, busted up, cheap, no good piece of pottery. And you can sell it for a, a large sum of money. Because you put wax on that crack and we're able to paint it beautifully on the outside. Here's what scripture says when he says, serve without wax. When scripture lays out what our lives should look like and how we should serve God, this acts as a a lamp, as a light. And for potters, the way that you could tell if a, a pot had wax in it is, they would hold it up to the light and the light would shine through the wax. The light wouldn't shine through the pot. But if you saw any light coming through when you held the pot up to the light, you knew that they had wax on it and that it was worthless. God says, when you put your life up to the light, up to the standard of my word, I hope that you serve me in such a way that we don't see a bunch of cracks and wax and holes in your life. And I hope that your your holiness and your motives and your desire and your your heart behind service is, is not just some fake, cracked up, waxed over, painted life, but that you're the real deal in pursuit of wholehearted service unto God. So Joshua said, man, it's not just enough to show up with a, with a poor attitude or, or be twisted, your arm twisted into it, or just say, well, I don't really want to do it, but I'll do this because it's the, the, the thing that I hate the least, right? God says, your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, the instructions are written out here. It's a very clear picture. man. when your life is, is held up to the light of God's word, is it Pure? He says, I want you to serve me without wax, without the cracks, without this cheapened life. That's my desire. That should be our response. Not guilt, not obligation, but because of what God has done for us, we should give our lives to Him in worship. Worship Him sincerely without wax. So how do we serve? We serve by loving God. We serve by loving others. We serve in the setting of the local church. We serve outside of the setting of the local church. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to move past Sunday, okay? So we serve in the city. We serve our ministry partners. We serve our friends, neighbors, wherever we work, play, eat, study, shop. All of those places, God gives us an opportunity to serve without wax in our lives. That most famous verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A lot of people look at that and they read that and they think, wow, what a, that was the leadership stand for Joshua. That would have been the, the highlight of his life. That would have like, What a way to go out, man. As for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But in actuality, did you know that this was one of Joshua's greatest leadership mistakes? Here's what happened. Forty years ago, Moses began grooming Joshua, the next leader, the next generation. Moses wanted to be able to pass on to the next generation who God was and what God had done. And so Moses took Joshua underneath his arm and says, I'm going to help you become a man of God. I'm going to help you to become a leader. And here's what we see at the end of Joshua's life. Joshua was so busy doing things for God, winning battles, taking land that he missed out on an opportunity to train up the next generation of leader. And here in this passage, we see an old man begging with his people, saying, please choose God. I'm getting ready to die, and there are no other people here to lead you. I did not raise up a next generation. There is not a man to take the mantle. There is not a woman that that we invested in, that we passed on these stories. Judges chapter 2, it's the very next book. Two chapters later, in verse 10, it says, And this generation of men died off, and the entire nation of Israel did not know God and had not heard the stories of what he had done. Hey, That's why our kids' ministry is so important. We want to share with the next generation what God has done. That's why this this move over at our South Fork property right now and and at the North Campus is so incredible. An older generation, 70s and 80s, came in and said, we don't want the story of Jesus to die in this community. Here is this facility. You guys take it. You guys run with it. Make the name of Jesus famous here. And so that's what we're going to do. That's why we're so passionate about pouring into your kids. That's why we're so passionate about that ministry that meets on the other side of this building. Because I don't want to be a church that 30, 40, 50, maybe 20 years from now when I die, we have to close the doors because I'll be an old sick man standing up here saying, we forgot to tell other people what God had done. We forgot to pass it on. And now Revo Church will be just a memory All of these stories that God has done in our midst will be forgotten because we weren't faithful to share them. See, you're confronted with a choice when you remember everything that God has done in your life. It brings you to a choice. How will you respond? What will you say? How will you pass that on to the next generation? Joshua failed here. And now he's planning. You can, listen to what he said. He said, you can choose. I get it. It's a choice. You can choose what gods you serve. I'm just going to tell you who I'm serving. I'm going to tell you what's going on with me. I think it's interesting that Joshua was a great commander. I don't know if you had like military parents or any family members that were military, but like I had friends that were in the military, uh, whose parents were in the military, and their home life was totally different. Like when their dad talked, like, it, there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? <laughs> He's like a commander of the army in the home as well. They're they're notorious for living a very strict life. Now listen, this commander of the army was used to looking at these people and telling him, this is what you're going to do, this is when you're going to do it, no questions asked. And that's exactly what the people did. So why does Joshua give them a choice here? Because you can't force people to follow God. I would love to force every one of you to follow Jesus. Because once you followed him for a little while, you would come and thank me later. You would come and say, wow, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Well, I didn't know this is what the benefits would be. I didn't know that this is how my life would change. I would have never done it if you hadn't made me, but I'm so glad that you made me. But here's the deal, I can't force you to follow Jesus. I can't sit up here and say, no, no, you have to do it. You have to do this. You you have to to, to check these things off. You have to live your life a certain way. Here's my job as as a pastor just to to say, you've got a choice to make. You've got a choice to make, and everybody has to make it. I can't make it for you. Our staff can't make it for you. I can't create some emotional environment in here where we just trick everybody into crying and getting upset about their sin and, and checking a connection card. I don't care about that. I want to give you a choice that you are going to have to make. Who are you going to follow? As for you and your house, what is it going to be about? After everything that God has done for you, how how will you respond? There's three different choices that, that, that Joshua gives here, and this, this is kind of weird language for us, because if I stood up here and said, what God are you going to serve? Like We don't live in this society where like, it's all these different gods. Like For most people in America, there's not a God of the sky, and a God of the sea, and a God of fertility, and a God of love, and a God of shoes, and a God of money, and all that stuff. Like We don't have that, right? And so that phrase may be weird. What do you mean, what God am I going to serve? Like, what, so what are my choices? Like, Give, give me all of them and, and I'll, I'll pick. And he actually gives them some examples of the different gods that he can serve. And these are the same gods that you and I serve today. Let me go down them. One, he says, you can worship the God of your forefathers. You can worship the God of your forefathers. I want to talk to you about the law of exposure really quick. Did you know that As parents, or as a big brother, or as a mentor, or as a coach, or someone that that has people that look up to you, did you you know that the thing that you love and worship the most is what you're exposing the next generation to, and and nine times out of ten, it will be the thing that they love and worship the most as well? If you make Jesus a priority in your life, guess what? So will your kids, and so will your family, and so will the people around you. It's the law of exposure. But if as a parent or as an uncle or as a a boss or as a coach or a mentor, if you make money, the God of your life, then the people behind you are going to follow money as well. If you make fame and fortune and and prosperity and your job, your life, then the next generation is going to come up looking to you saying, well, that must be what's most important. And Joshua looks and says, hey, I realize your parents may have worshipped some crazy stuff. I realize that in the past... You had a lot of options on what you could worship. Money, sex, power, politics, prestige, cars, cash, whatever it is. But you have a choice. You can worship the gods of your forefathers, the same things that your dad or mom worshipped, or you can choose to worship God. He gives them another example. You can worship the gods of the Egyptians that God just brought you out of go back to when Moses took over for the people, they were in slavery in Egypt, right? Those would have been really hard days. Now, in Egypt, they did worship a ton of gods. They had a sun god, a water god, a sky god, a moon god, a, a fertility god. They just had tons of gods. And, and so Joshua says, you can go back and worship all those other gods that you were delivered from. Here's the point in that. When God takes your life to a whole nother level... You got to remember that you are still susceptible to the things that you used to struggle with in the previous level. Like, just because God gave you victory or delivered you over something doesn't mean you'll never struggle with that anymore. It doesn't mean that that problem has been eliminated. It doesn't mean that you can just check that off the list and say, hey man, like God gave me a raise or God hooked me up with my finances or God made my kids stop being crazy and so it's good, right? It's, family life is good. No, eventually you'll hit that struggle again. If you don't stay focused on God, you'll, you'll be bankrupt again. You'll struggle financially again. Your marriage will be on the rocks again. So just because God has taken your life to the next level now does not mean that you will never struggle with the past again. Joshua was warning them. Hey, you remember those gods that we used to have in Egypt? Don't go back there. You can choose to worship them. But don't go back to the very thing that God has already delivered you from. Scripture gives kind of a graphic explanation of this. It says it's like a dog that goes back to its own vomit and licks it up. Joshua said, man, the very thing that made you sick, don't go back to it and eat it again. But you can. It's a choice that you can make. You can go back to the things that you struggled with in the past. The third one is is this. He says "You you can worship the God of the Amorites, of the Canaanites, in the land that you currently dwell. In America, we have gods that people are worshiping right now. In the land that we live in. Culture has their own God. Has their own Bible. Has their own truth. Has their own idea of what's right and wrong. The time and the place that we live in is no different than the time and the place that they did. They have their own set of gods. There's a world telling you what's really important and what's really right and wrong and what you should really do and the opinion that you should have and the words that you should say and how you should spend your time and your money and and that God of the land that we live in. You can choose to follow that God. You can. You can choose to do that this morning. But here's what Joshua says. He, He closes it out with this. Even though he gives them a choice, and I'm going to give you the same choice today. Maybe, maybe you've never had a pastor tell you that if you want to, you can go worship money. That's cool. If you want to, you can go follow culture. That's fine. But here's, here's what you can do, and here's what Joshua did. You can give people a choice, but I can absolutely stack the deck. Joshua, before he gave everyone the choice, you know what he did? He reminded them of how good God was. Hey, you can go, you can go worship culture if you want to. But remember how Jesus changed your life? Hey, you can go follow whatever your mom and your daddy's doing, but remember what God told you here? You can choose whatever you want to, but let me just say, like, I don't know if it can compete with everything that I've just told you. I don't know if it's as good as everything that I've shared with you today. you, You can go worship your God if you want to, but let me tell you about the God that I worship, Jeremiah 29, 11. He has a plan for you, a plan to prosper you. So you can go worship a, a God that has no idea what's going on, or you can worship the God that has a real plan for your life. You can, you can worship in the world if you want to. That's fine. But let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29. Come to me, all who are struggling hard and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So you can either go out there with all your struggles and all your worries and all your pains and try to figure it out, or you can bring them to the one that promises to give you peace and rest. Your choice. You can worship whatever God you want to. You can follow whoever's on the radar. Isaiah 40, 29 says this. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. You can look for new strength out there. That's cool. Do whatever you want to do. But I'll tell you what Jesus promised. I'll tell you about a God that promises to deliver you and give you strength for the things that he's called you to Philippians 4.19, this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs for your glorious riches. If you want to get out there on the rat race and try to supply your own needs, if you want your life and your money and your job and your finances to be about you, good luck. But I'll show you about a Savior that promises to meet every one of your needs. I'll tell you about a Jesus that has not only supplied in my life, but has promised to do the same in yours. And you can have a choice this morning to worship that God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You can spend your whole life trying to figure out how you're going to get to God. Your whole life trying to figure out if you're good enough. Your whole life sinning and hoping that it weighs out in the end, that the good outweighs the bad. Or you can understand that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through what? Jesus, this God that I'm talking about but you can choose. Whatever. Joshua stacks the deck and makes it an obvious choice. And I hope the choice for you is obvious. That salvation only comes through Jesus. Just follow him. Living a life full of acceptance and value and worth, that's life on a whole other level. So whatever God you choose, it's your choice. I can't make you. I can't force you. It's your choice. Whatever God you choose this morning, I do want you to know this. He or she or it will set the course of your life. The God that you decide to follow will determine the direction of the rest of your life. So my famous last words are this. I hope the words that you wish that people would say about you would reflect the life that you are willing to live right now.